Jessica Torres, it's good to see you today. I know you were here last week and um, for the first time. Welcome back. And if you don't know Jessica, she has just completed a year on mission around the world in a mission opportunity called the World Race. And Jessica, we're so proud of you and so happy to see you. And in about a month, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from you after a worship service, and you'll see that information coming out soon. We're going to have lunch together and hear Jessica share of her experience. So welcome home. We've been praying for you. I know your family is so happy to have you back. And while I'm at it, where is our drummer? Steve, it's good to, be, good to see you back, Stephen. And uh, thank you for being here in the midst of your recovery from surgery and still going after it on the drums this morning. So we give the, the Lord a hand for him as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, our passage of Scripture today is from the book of James. We're starting a new series during the month of September called The Fruitful Life. And we actually heard from our children last Sunday in chapter 2. And then we're going back to chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verses 17 through 27. As I read today's scripture, I invite you to slow down a little bit. I'm going to read it intentionally slower than normal. And if you'll take your bulletin notes and keep it alongside of the scripture... And as I read, jot down key words or phrases that strike a chord with you, that jump out at you. Perhaps they will become part of the prayer that I'll encourage you to begin to formulate at the end of the message. And this week, I, I hope that you might return to these key words or phrases as you pray through this week. Hear God's word. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits. Of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. It's as if James asking us to take some notes. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks 
at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, passes, goes away, and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted or stained by the world. This is God's letter to us. God's word to us. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. If we look back to the first chapter of the book of James, we see that James, in the very first part of chapter 1, calls himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is certainly an appropriate name of the, uh, given the practical, servant-oriented emphasis of the book. Most modern scholars agree that the James who authored this letter was James, the brother of Jesus himself. You probably know this, but originally James disbelieved Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. He didn't believe it. But later he was won over by a special vision of the risen Lord. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 7 as Paul's going through the accounts of the Lord, uh, the risen Lord appearing to people. And he mentions James who was won over by this special vision of the risen Lord. And James will become the central leader of the Jerusalem church. And if you remember not long ago when we were going through a transformational church series, we focused on that passage in Acts chapter 15, which was the Jerusalem conference, which settled a major divide in the church. And James was the leader, the pastoral leader of that church. And he was the one who wrote the letter of the findings of the Jerusalem council and sent it to be delivered to the church at Antioch so that they would understand how to continue to administer their church and lead their people. James was a significant leader in the early church. Later he would die a martyr's death. And what we call the book of James is actually a general letter that he wrote addressing the Jewish Christians that had been scattered all over the, the modern Roman world at that time. And generally, the the letter is to strengthen their faith and loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Christians who were from a Jewish background faced heavy persecution. You'll see this throughout the book. In chapter 1, he talks about uh, persevering through their struggles and sufferings. Throughout the book, he contended that faith produces, and we hear this word a lot, produced, relating to things that are birthed, fruit uh, that emerge, um, 
Faith produces authentic deeds. In other words, if those who call themselves God's people truly belong to Him, their lives will produce deeds of fruit. This is where we glean the title of the message series, The Fruitful Life, Living a Fruitful Life. My prayer is that at the end uh, that God would look at me and, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. I imagine that each of you someday want to hear those words from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. With language similar to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, James rails against the hypocritical believer who says one thing and does another. Some of you may know people like that in your lifetime that say one thing and do another. They profess one thing, maybe at church, and then you see them out in the community doing something else entirely different. Uh, This is uh, a lifestyle that James writes against. He's He's concerned that followers of Jesus should live a a both-and religion, not an either-or. It's both faith and works, not either-or. That our faith would be producing good fruit. Faith and works. Thought and action. Prayer and effort. Law and grace. One commentator writes, For James... Faith was no abstract proposition, but had effects in the real world. James offered numerous practical examples to illustrate his point that faith endures in the midst of trials, calls on God for wisdom, bridles the tongue, sets aside wickedness, visits orphans and widows, and does not play favorites. He stressed that the life of faith is comprehensive, impacting every area of our lives and driving us to truly engage in the lives of other people in this world. While James realized that even believers stumble, he also knew that faith should not coexist with people who roll their eyes at the less fortunate, ignore the plight of others, or curse those who are in their paths. James has a very practical message to us. That the Christian is to be active in the realized eternal work of God. We understand that the kingdom has already come in Jesus Christ. That the work of God is among us. And that we are to join God in what God is already doing. That we are to join in the realized eternal work of God who is the creator of everything, including every good and perfect gift. In other words, we cannot, in my understanding... Be Christian and avoid issues of social justice and human rights and creation care. In the same breath, we cannot be Christian, in my understanding, and not share the sweet, saving love of Jesus and the message of the gospel and eternal life. We are to do the good work of our faith to bring about justice and righteousness in this world. We are to do justice, we are to love mercy, and we are to walk humbly with our God. And at the same time, we are to tell people that there is more to come. There is more to life than this earth. This earth is not our eternal home. That is our message. And James helps us to see that. I've always enjoyed reading James. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. You can read it in just one sitting. Kind of like Philippians or Jonah. Short books, but packed full 
of challenge. James encourages us to live a life of faith. And it has to do with living out the eternal word that has been planted deeply within us. God placed eternity in the hearts of human beings. We long to know our maker and he desires for us to share that with others. And in the time we have left today, I hope to be able to articulate how God has changed my understanding and call through this little book in the Bible. And in light of some recent reading that I've done by Eugene Peterson in his book, Under the Unpredictable Plant. He also, uh, if you're familiar with Eugene Peterson, wrote the message paraphrase of the Bible, which we often refer to as we worship together. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have approached ministry as a chore. Check the boxes. Even, there are even temptations as a pastor to come to church and look at it as just going to work. And check the boxes and do the administrative things and go to the meetings and there's some visits I need to do. If I'm not careful, I can slip into that kind of uh, mentality. And I pray that I, I, I uh, repent of that and ask God to forgive me of that and to help me to have an eternal mindset as I do even the mundane things of ministry. And Eugene Peterson's book helped me to see that freshly again. If we are not careful, we can drift into a posture that says the work of the gospel here is dependent on my power and my presence and my work and my resources rather than on God's abundant power. And as you saw in the video, God is at work and God sees everything we do and desires that we be his first fruits and that we rely on him and not ourselves, but we join God in what God is doing. Eugene Peterson challenges us to approach ministry with the understanding that Jesus is already here. Sometimes we come into a situation and we feel like we were the first on the scene. But no matter what we do or where we go, whether in church or in the community or to the ends of the earth, God is already there. We, we are just joining God where God already is. Eugene Peterson cites... Mark 16, verses 16 through, and seven, verse 6 and 7. Mark 16, 6 and 7, where the angel says, He is risen. He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him as He told you. With this in mind, Peterson says, In every visit, in every meeting I attend, with every appointment I keep, I have anticipated the risen Christ got there ahead of me. How I long to approach everything that I do in that way. That no matter where I am or what I'm doing, Jesus got there ahead of me. And then, knowing that Jesus is already in the room with us, to begin asking, what's Jesus doing? Looking around and talking and listening and observing and sensing, what is Jesus, the risen Lord, already doing? What's He saying? What's going on? 
Peterson challenges us to be as exegetically serious, and exegesis is when we draw meaning from something. When we exegete the text, we draw meaning from the text. Ex meaning out of. He says exegete when listening to parishioners. Learn koine. Koine is kind of a common Greek language. He says be as exegetically serious when listening to a parishioner in Koine American as when we are reading St. Matthew's Gospel in Koine Greek. That we are to approach our pastoral care and our ministry as leaders and lay leaders and clergy with the same diligence and curiosity that we bring to a page of Isaiah's oracles or a tangled argument in one of St. Paul's epistles. Christ was long before here, here before any of us arrived at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Christ was here long before I arrived as your pastor three and a half years ago. Christ is before us. He is there before we make the visit, before the meeting, before the funeral, before the hospital, before the worship. And we join Christ in those places. Peterson begs us to ask, what has the risen Christ been doing or saying that is making a gospel story about this person's life? What's going on that that person understands the importance of the gospel in their life, and how can we join Jesus in that process? The word for this is the provenience of grace, the priority of grace, that we are always, and this is just marvelous to me, this is an awakening to me, that we are always coming in on something that's going on when it comes to God. We may clarify a word of help in some way. We may offer hope in some way. We may help enlighten someone through the Word of God as the Holy Spirit enables us. But we are always dealing with what the risen Christ has set in motion, already brought into being. And this is where things get really fun. Even Christians sometimes don't have a sense of how God is working around them. And through God's power and exegeting the situation and sensing how God is at work, we are able to join the risen Christ to bring an awareness of their Jesus story. Maybe it's to help someone understand their call to ministry or mission. Maybe somebody has a critical life decision that they are making. And God enables us to come onto the scene where God has already been at work and that we might you be a tool that God uses to help that person in the next stages of whatever that decision making might be. This brings us to the circle, full circle to the title of the sermon, Geography and Eschatology. Geography. We are called to place. This church, this community, this geography to do the work of God with a sense of purpose and fulfillment because of what might come, and that's the eschatology. Geography, where we are, our locale, eschatology of what is to come. And we have the opportunity to join God here and now to talk about the there and then. Geography is the sense of our everyday place. Eschatology is the sense of shaping eternal purpose.
Sadly, the word eschatology, which simply means uh, focusing or an understanding or study of uh, that which is to come or the end or the fulfillment of time. Sadly, this word gets a bad rap in our society. It's reduced usually to talking about the apocalyptic kind of times, uh, heaven and hell, judgment, earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, and all of these things. And you're, you leave that conversation like depressed and you want to go home and have a bowl of ice cream or something. You know, some of these people just can be so focused on all the difficulties. And I, I want uh, people to see, yes, you know, those things are happening, but this is not our eternal home. And we, in our geography, have the opportunity to tell people about the eschaton, that which is to come, eternal life, heaven, and hun- help people understand what heaven is all about. As we've heard the song, I can only imagine what it will be like. You and I, in our geography, can help people to understand their, uh, some about eschatology. And Peterson helps us to see both geography as our place and eschatology as the kingdom of God has come are equally vital in our exercise of faith. This points us back to some of the words that he uses early in the book when he talks about a perfect gift. He also says we are saved through the word that is planted in us and that we are to look in the perfect law to understand the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors, yourself, and to allow that to be the way that we live our lives. These all point in an eschatological way. Greek word that is translated perfect is teleos, which refers to an end, that which is brought to perfection, completeness, or fulfillment. Reminders that this is not our home. And just this morning, in my Henry Nowen devotional, that I get electronically every day. The title, I printed it for you, Living in the End Time. And I want to read a a clip from it for you. We are living in the end times, says Peter, says Nowen. Uh, Nowen has been uh, deceased a long time, but uh, his uh, foundation is uh, really at work uh, sharing his message even to this day. He says, we are living into the end times. This does not mean, writes now, and that creation will soon come to an end, but it does mean that the signs of the end of time that Jesus mentions are already with us. All these things, wars and revolutions and conflicts and all of these things. Jesus describes the events of our world as announcements, listen, that this world is not our final dwelling place but that the Son of Man will come to bring us our full freedom. We have the opportunity to join God in the here and now, pointing people to the there and then. Given that the kingdom has come and that we wait on a time that Jesus will come again, uh, we fulfill our calling, our purpose in our place. And we don't point people to the end of time, but we point them to the end that God has in mind. And that end is to share the love of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, the hope of peace and reconciliation, redemption and forgiveness. And that we someday, as we trust in Jesus Christ, will be with him eternally. 
If we begin with the end in mind, then it means that I have a goal. I have something to hope for, something to accomplish. That every single one of us is created to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do as we practice the presence of God in every aspect of our lives. I brought my to-do list with me today. I write all the things that I do each Monday on one of these lists and I scratch them off and usually I just look at it as a to-do list. Uh, uh, Peterson challenges us to, that we look at this as our eschatological laundry list that every appointment, every meeting, every visit, every call has an eschatological focus that somewhere in these situations we have opportunities to encounter people with the hope and good news of Jesus Christ. And that's how I desire to approach my ministry as I continue to go forward. And I'm so thankful that Peterson opened my eyes to this, what I think is simple but yet profound. We practice the presence of God. And whatever we do, whether word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, writes Paul. And the presence, the practice of our pure religion, true religion, becomes something completely new and transformational. We begin to approach everything we do as if the risen Christ is already there at work. And we simply ask, how can I join Him? We we become people that just have to do it. We might not want to But we join Jesus and we do what we do because we cannot not do it. We we come had to people. I just had to, to do it. Questions for reflection in your notes. As you go about your week, what's God saying to me. What is God saying to you today, throughout this week, as you read the book of James? What's God saying? And what are we supposed to do in our geography, in our locale, wherever we are? What is God saying and what are we to do as we seek to be His first fruits? I hope you'll Ponder these, reflect on these questions, and formulate these into a prayer that can guide you as you seek to be the presence of Jesus in your geography. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for your Son, for your being the living, breathing Son of God, that you've risen from the grave and that you live with us today. And you constantly remind us that this is not our eternal home. You have placed us here for a time. And you have called us to point people to a time that you'll come. And in the midst of that, to live as your presence. To join you in what you're already doing. And through that, that we might make an eternal difference. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.